Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWentworth.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. And here are your hosts, Drew and Janie. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Welcome to Episode 8 for Season 7, which in binary and octal is 0111-10. Huh. As always, I'm Drew Freeman, here with my amazingly brilliant co-host, Jaden Clayton. This episode was recorded on Thursday, December 21st, 2017, and is sponsored by Rollbar. Very special thank you to them for sponsoring the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. On this episode, we have Tammy Koran. Tammy's an independent creative professional, which I'm told translates to a master of all trades. And she is one of the hosts of the podcast, Roundabout Creative Chaos. On this episode, she'll be talking about how things are transitioning from Sprite Kit, Scene Kit, toward Unity. And then later on, Janie's going to be talking to us about how to incorporate shape into Sprite Kit. Tammy, really, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It is good to have you on the show. I, I am a great admirer. Uh, I, I I am a fan of both you and the and the podcast. Oh, that's good. How much do I have to pay you for saying that now? <laughs> Nothing, but I may have to plead with you in about a year and a half after you, all your guests to go, can I, can I? <laughs> We'd love to have you on the show. Janie's been on the show, so now we should have you. Yeah, that, your, your, your podcast was one of the, the most fun ones that I got to participate on, but you kind of took me by surprise by asking me what fictional character I would I would be if I could be any fictional character. Yeah, we like to mix it up a little bit. I want to go back and change my answer. <laughs> yeah, I will happily plug the show because uh, I was a huge fan of Inside the Actors Studio and the first time I listened to the show and you started asking the questions of your guests at the end, I was like, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. We get to find out a lot about people and sometimes they even find out a little bit about themselves. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a little of your background? Because I know that you do so much when it comes to, to artwork and creative stuff stuff. Well, independent creative professional. Can you can you fill me in a little about on how that fills in to, to get us heading to the transitions of seeing community and all of that? Well, I guess the, the long and short of it is I kind of have my hands in a little bit of everything because I really have a focus problem. <laughs> and I find that one of the ways to deal with that is to just find things that interest me, learn how to do them and do them. And that's kind of how I got involved with the whole Ray Wenderlich crew. You know, he, he was one of the first sites out there that had any information on developing for the iPhone, right? And at the time, I guess it was like the iPhone 3. And I had just taken a job working on, I think I got the job because they needed a Ruby on Rails person. I didn't know anything about Ruby on Rails, but I said, hey man, I got a bookstore next to me. I'll just go get a book and figure it out. And the same thing was with the iPhone. You know, they're like, hey, we've got this iPhone app. Do you want to do it? I said, well, I don't know how to do it. So I, I found Ray's site. That's kind of how I got into the whole iPhone and iOS development. And I always have been big into games, but I never really had the confidence, I suppose, to write a game or create a game, especially in code. And one of the first frameworks that I looked at was Cocos 2D. And to be honest with you, I, I'm not good at all with math. Like I can't even do second grade math. And I was very intimidated by Cocos 2D. I mean, just right out of the box, you know, I, I had the desire to want to make a game, but I had a bigger fear of failing and a bigger fear of the math and the mechanics behind Cocos 2D, or at least what I perceive to be math and mechanics. I I think that that you're not alone in that whole like fear of the the math stuff, because like I hadn't done math in like 15 years and I found that having some basic, you know, comfort with math has been a really like integral thing of doing games and graphics development. And it's just, I feel like it's really unfortunate that we don't have a more approachable way of getting people to feel comfortable with the math because the math like if you explained it just in plain English it's not 
that hard to figure out but when you've got all these weird foreign like you know greek letters and all this other garbage or whatever you look at it and you're like i this is like written by cthulhu i don't know what i'm supposed to do with this and so like it's just it, i just i really admire you for being able to like you know go into that and you know see all of these 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 dragons just be like no i'm just i'm i want to figure this out i'm i'm a smart person i'm gonna keep on going even though it's a little you know intimidating and, and kind of scary i was i was very lucky that I, i'm i'm a throwback to the apple two years and somebody came out with an apple graph graphics book and it talked about 3D and rotation and all that and as a kid I was actually learning some of the vector math because the book actually explained vectors fairly nicely but I, I truly agree that being able to, to step away from the math and focus more on what is the game supposed to do that really takes some of that intimidation away yeah and that that was the whole thing but I was still intimidated with that framework honestly it wasn't a very intimidating framework but for me, it was. And I didn't have a strong enough desire to try and get over that intimidation. So I kind of just, I, I looked at it. Yeah, this is cool. And I, I let it go and I went on to the next thing. You know, and I'm the type of person that give me something I don't know so I can figure it out because that's what gets me going. But that wasn't enough. And like I said, I just, I let it go. And then I, I don't exactly remember the time frame from when I looked at Cocos 2D to when Sprite Kit was first announced. I don't want to say that there was a whole lot of time in between, but there was enough time where I was like, yeah, let me check this out. I've been developing iOS apps for a while now, playing with UIKit and getting really involved in making all these different apps. I feel like I know this framework. Let me take a look at it. Let me see what they have to offer. And I was immediately hooked. I was able to make the games that I wanted to make. I was able to take it to the next level. And then to just be involved with the Ray Wenderlich team working on, you know, the, the Apple 2D games book at the time, it wasn't titled Apple 2D games. It was, I think it was iOS games by tutorials. Um, so there was that book. And then, you know, being able to create that Flappy Felipe game and do the video tutorial, you know, it, it just Sprite Kit has just been around me since the time that it was first announced. And, and I absolutely love it. Scene Kit, on the other hand, that's not something that I immediately jumped into. Mm -hmm. Scene Kit, to me, brought back that same anxiety and fear with the mathematics, right? Because you've got all these vector points and it's a 3D space and you have to think differently of it. So I was still intimidated, but that didn't stop me because I knew that Scene Kit was just enough like Sprite Kit that I had to push myself to get past that silly, ridiculous fear. And now I love Scene Kit just as much as Sprite Kit, which brings me to Unity. Mm -hmm. Where does this come in? <laughs> it comes for everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, we, we've had this conversation multiple times about, well, you know, with Unity being able to do so much in so many different platforms, do you feel that it's better than Sprite Kit or Scene Kit? Do you think that that Sprite Kit and Scene Kit have any future? The short answer is yes. I do think Sprite Kit and Scene Kit have a future. Ooh. But I also think if you're going to develop a game and you want it to be something more than what Sprite Kit and Scene Kit can offer, which they can offer a lot, Unity is the way to go just because it is, in my opinion, a more powerful development toolkit than just Sprite Kit and Scene Kit. But I wouldn't not learn Sprite Kit or Scene Kit. You can do amazing things with that. And especially if you're new to game development, it's one of the best frameworks to start with. Because when you open up Unity, what's the first thing that happens? Uh... <laughs> It's very intimidating. Like I, I've opened up Unity, I'm like I I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. It's like 
uh, where's my code? Where, like, what are these script? What's the difference between, like, programming and scripting? I don't know what any of this stuff is. How do I get assets for this? Like, what's going on? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Right. So you could see where if someone wants to make a game and they're new to development, if they immediately go to Unity, they might have that same intimidating fear that stops them from moving forward. But when they, especially if they're already developing for Apple, when they go into Xcode and they start to put together their scene using Sprite Kit or Scene Kit, whatever they're making, that intimidation is automatically less because they already know that tool. They're Apple developers. They know the tool. They know the, the basics. They know Swift. They know how to get around. So, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm, I'm a hobbyist wannabe like game developer person, but I don't necessarily like want to get hired by a gaming studio and I don't necessarily care about earning any money from my games. For me, like I'm interested in game programming because I want to be a better programmer and like games have a lot of specific game logic where you're not necessarily using a lot of the built-in like Cocoa frameworks to, you know, like grab stuff from HealthKit or grab stuff from the network or to do whatever. You actually have to figure out like what your, your um, you know, game piece objects are and what they're going to do and how the rules work. And this is all very intensive because it's very specific to whatever programming you're doing. And like, I want to be a better Swift developer. So like, I want to go and actually ship a game using SpriteKit because that works with a lot of the other things that I want to be learning by learning to be a better like Swift developer. So just like, I think that there's definitely a place for, for Sprite Kit. Oh yeah. And you know, you, you brought up a very valid point with working with the game logics and, and all those other things that go with designing and developing a game, which brings me to another framework, Gameplay Kit. That's another one of my favorite frameworks. I mean, when you put Gameplay Kit together with Sprite Kit or Scene Kit, if you're doing a 3D game, you could just move mountains with that. And yeah, maybe it's not as powerful as Unity and maybe Maybe Unity, you can, you know, push to multiple platforms. But that marriage of Sprite Kit or Scene Kit and Gameplay Kit on an Apple device, I mean, come on, you, you've got Apple TV, right? TV OS, you can put it on Mac OS, you put it on Watch OS, you can put it on iOS. Just make your game. Like earlier in the season, I, I did one of my technical, um, you know, section on talking about the, the randomization stuff within, you know, like Gameplay Kit. Like even just that one thing, even if you're not using it with Scene Kit or Sprite Kit, like, that's an incredibly powerful randomization tool to do a lot of really neat stuff. And, like, just there's a lot of really good things in Gameplay Kit. So, like, all, all of those things together, the Sprite Kit, the Scene Kit, and the Gameplay Kit, that's that's a really nice, powerful little compact package of stuff that you can use to do cool stuff. I think one of the uh, the one of the hesitants that I've seen some other programmers are hitting, a lot of the, the iOS slash Mac TV OS, etc., is with Unity, it's, for some of them, the first first time they've stepped away from Xcode is their IDE. I mean, Xcode has become so many things for so many different projects, everything from libraries to application to apps, etc. You're really, you're just dropping the entire Xcode net at this point and you are off in an entirely new world. And I've seen the same thing when they have to go work on Java or if they're looking over an Android code, all of a sudden the tools have thrown them. And uh, sometimes that seems to be what backs people away even before they've even looked into what is the capability. Of Unity. It's the tool. It's the tool that intimidates people. Like with Cocos 2D, it was the language and the math that intimidated, not even the 
a language because when you stop to think about it, pretty much all computer languages, you just have to learn their syntax, mm -hmm. but they all fundamentally, they're the same. You're telling the computer to do something and it's like speaking to somebody in their, their language. Learn their language and you can figure out how to communicate. But when you go from an IDE from one to another, and you know, uh, Unity is C-sharp, so that language is not all that different. When you open up that IDE and that interface, you, you're in shock. There's Windows, there's things, there's all this stuff all over the place. And I love developing in Unity. I got past that shock, but it took me a little while. It took me wanting to be able to try something specifically in Unity to get past that. If you're a new developer and you're going to get intimidated by that, just skip it. Don't let the naysayers talk you into not learning SpriteKit or SceneKit because Unity. Okay, we've been talking a lot about Unity, but I want to like, like, I never hear anybody talk about the Unreal Engine. And I thought like, like, like from what I, I, I know of, of looking at stuff, like the Unreal Engine is very impressive and I feel like the, the, the cost of using it is lower than Unity, but like I, I know a lot of people who are independent game developers and like everybody just knows Unity. Is, just, is it just kind of a, a legacy thing where for a really long time Unity was um, free and Unreal wasn't and so everybody just got comfortable with Unity and they're just kind of in that paradigm? Because like I, I think Unreal is very impressive, but I never hear anybody talk about it. Yeah, I don't really know too much about Unreal. I never felt drawn to it like I did to Unity. And I think it's because you don't hear a lot of people talking about it. I think it's because because at the time when I was looking at all these different things, Unity was something that was within reach financially to many of the independent developers. Unreal wasn't, or at least that was my impression. And again, you know, I just had this argument the other day with somebody. Reality, everyone says, oh, well, reality is. Reality is almost unimportant. Perception is what's important because the perception of something is that individual's reality. And my perception of Unreal, which became my reality, mm. is nah, it's probably even more complicated than Unity. It's going to be more expensive than Unity. So why don't you just go to Unity? And that can be completely wrong. I was just—I found like like with my, my independent game developer friends that most of them just had written off Unreal because they already knew Unity and Unity kind of did everything that they wanted it to be doing, and so therefore like they told me not to bother learning Unreal, not because Unreal was bad, but just because everybody that they knew you knew Unity, and they figured that I wanted to eventually get a job as a game developer, and if you wanted a job as a game developer, you want to know Unity because that's what everybody that they know uses for their stuff. And so, like, I think that's kind of interesting, like, that we're talking about, like, you know, how everybody feels like they can't use, like, SpriteKit or SceneKit because, like, Unity is what everybody else is using. And we just kind of have this perception about something being better or whatever, just because it's what everybody else seems to be using. And so we're kind of discouraged from doing a solution that might be better for us because it's different from what somebody else is doing. You know who Batman is, right? I am Batman. Something really cool about Batman is he's got a utility belt. And on that utility belt are many tools. Because you know what? Even Batman knows that there's more than one tool for any job. So for people to sit there and, and think to themselves that I have to I have to do this because this is what most people are doing, or I can't look at this tool because that tool, nobody uses that tool. They all use this one. When, when we start to realize that even Batman has a utility belt because there's more than one tool for any type of job, that's when we can start to expand our knowledge and start to to take on these things, these other things, and learn 
these different things. So when, when people, again, when people come to me and say, I don't know, should I, should I do this thing in Sprite Kit instead of Unity? Or maybe I should learn Unity. I have to ask them, well, what's your end goal? What do you want to accomplish? Do you want to make a game? If so, what are the capabilities of that game? Can you do it in this? Will it be faster in that? What is your time frame? You know, do you want to learn something new? It's really what's your end game here. And that's what determines the proper tool, which could change midstream. Like, I, f- I feel like this is a problem that we have with all, all of tech where like people have something that they learned, I don't know, however many years ago, because it was the new hot thing. And they, they there was a lot of work for it. and They could earn a lot of money and they did whatever. And they, they got really used to that thing. And they get kind of stuck in this mental paradigm where this is the only thing that exists out in the world. They don't want to learn you know this new thing because it's different from their other thing. And there's still people hiring them to do the first thing that they were doing. And they stick with something for like five or 10 years, but they never really think about like what to do outside of the one thing that they know. And then after like a certain number of years, like the demand goes down, they're not getting as much money. There's not as much work. People have moved on and they're just kind of like, whoa, what, what happened? Let's just say there have been the Emacs VI wars and there's no point because very few people, you know, will necessarily turn to specifically those two editors anymore. And you were uh, commenting about how Unity right now, a lot of people have turned to it. But then again, there's also that difference between this tool is good to know because if I'm looking for a job in the industry, 80-90% of the jobs are using this tool during this five-year span of time. Tammy, you've had uh, the ability to just say, I'm going to pick up this tool or that tool. So there is always, you know, from an experimental view, you can get a lot of other tools, find out which one may apply better to your project. But at the same time, if you are hunting for the job, sometimes it's good to swim with the rest of the salmon in in the stream. It's all about your end game. The reason I picked the the, the Red Queen Coder uh, Twitter handle is because I I wanted to remind myself every time that I I thought about it that, you know, like, technology is always changing and that, like, you know, the thing that I'm doing right now might not, is probably not going to be the thing that I'm doing in five years. And I keep wondering, you know, like, you know, everybody talks about the doom and gloom about, you know, the end of Apple. And I keep wondering, like, well, should I stick with the Apple technology? Should I learn, like, Python? Like, you know, I always spend a lot of time wondering about, like, what I should be doing right now to make sure that I'm viable for whatever is going to be coming up in the next, you know, five to ten years. You know, you have the, you know, Steve Jobs, Wayne Gretzkyism, you know, like, like go, go to where the puck is going to be and not where it is right now. <laughs> Apple, the, the company that has been doomed for 40 years and still going strong. <laughs> exactly. Tammy, I'm definitely going to be making yet another crack at, at the IDE, and, and I really appreciate the... Uh, the statement of uh, really it sort of boils down to a just get over it and do it um, because I really it, it was imposing to me the first time I sat down and, and popped it open and I really I'm looking forward to to learning it not necessarily initially with a project but just to be able to get that knowledge base under my belt so that when I'm looking at a project I have a more educated way to look at it. Well, I know where you can get a really good book on Unity. <laughs> just saying. And and if you don't want to let go of your roots, I know where you can get some really good books on Scene Kit and Sprite Kit. Just saying. Oh, we have happily plugged the books from Uncle Ray many, many times on this show, and we'll continue to do so. Coming up uh, in, a f- in just a few moments, Janie's going to continue on with the show. But first, we uh, want to take a break and talk to you a little bit about Rollbar. 
I want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode. I'm really excited about this. It's Rollbar. One of the frustrating things we all deal with is errors. Relying on users to report the errors, searching through log files, trying to debug the issues. It's a waste of time. With Rollbar, you will instantly know what's broken and why. You'll reduce time wasted debugging, automatically capture errors across your entire stack, and that includes mobile. Rollbar detects when code breaks in real time and provides the full stack trace and diagnostic data to help you defeat those impactful app errors. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow. You can send error alerts to Slack or HipChat, automatically create new issues with Jira, Pivotal Tracker, Trello. Adding the Rollbar iOS or Android SDK is as easy as adding a few lines of code, and you can start monitoring crash reports in minutes. We have a special offer for our listeners. Go to Rollbar bar.com slash Wenderlich. Sign up. You'll get the bootstrap plan free. Now it's loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, so many more. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com slash Wenderlich. And we thank Rollbar for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. And we're going to continue on with part two. Janie, after talking about all the other tools like Sprite Kit and Scene Kit and Gameplay Kit and going to Unity. Let's talk about Shader Kit. Okay. Uh, Shader Kit is an open source framework that was created by Paul Hudson. Paul Hudson is known for uh, his series of books, the Hacking with Swift books. Like, I just, I, I don't know how he writes all the stuff that he does. He comes out with like, I don't know, like 10 books a year and he has a newsletter and now he's got this open source framework and like all of his stuff that he's doing, it, it just, uh, just, it makes me depressed because I, I can't do as much stuff as he does. So a couple of months ago, he came out with this shader kit framework. And the shader kit framework is a way for you to be able to incorporate OpenGL shaders into Sprite Kit. As the listeners probably know, because we talk about it like all the time, I spent a year writing a book on metal. And while I was working on the metal book, I was looking at a lot of the the stuff as I was working on the book and writing all these chapters going, man, this is like super inefficient. You have to use like 100 lines of code just to get a cube on the screen. This is the dumbest thing ever. Like, why would anybody go and do this stuff? And so like I talked to a couple of people from Apple and I said, why would anybody go in and, and you know write 100 lines of code just to get a cube on the screen where they could just use scene kit? And they said, that's the idea. Like, we don't want people to spend 100 lines of code putting a cube on the screen. The idea is that we want people to use Scene Kit to do all of this easy stuff, like getting the cube on the screen, but then you only drop down to metal when you actually need to. And that, to me, was kind of a revelation, was the idea that metal kind of existed to do stuff only when you needed to do something that wasn't covered in Sprite Kit or Scene Kit, and that the idea was that they wanted people to go in and use these higher-level abstractions of using Scene Kit and Sprite Kit rather than going directly into metal. And one thing I wish that Apple had done better or would do better in the future is to really emphasize about how to integrate metal into other frameworks because they spend a lot of time, like I think when the the iPhone X came out, they had 13 videos and like seven of them were about really low level metal stuff. And they didn't talk about how to incorporate metal with other frameworks. And so like, I didn't realize until Paul came out with his, his shader kit framework that you could actually write shaders for sprite kit. That probably 
probably should have been kind of obvious that you could write shaders for sprite kit, but I just didn't think about it because it was 2D and not 3D. I knew you could write shaders for scene kit, and I'm actually doing a talk at uh, RW DevCon in 2018 about how to easily integrate metal shaders into scene kit. It didn't occur to me that you could do this with sprite kit. And so when he announced that he had put this together, I was just like, whoa, this is like really awesome because this was something that I didn't know you could do. Just a, a really high level. Give me an, a couple of examples of some of the things that are in the shader kit that you can use out of the box with very little uh, effort. He has uh, about a dozen shaders in here. So there's a way of doing like circular waves. You can apply a checkerboard. You can change the alpha. You can invert the colors. There's a lot of different things in here. But one of the really valuable aspects of this not only is the fact that these these shaders exist and is really easy to drop them into your project. He also really heavily documented basically everything in the entire framework. So if you open up any of his shaders, like he goes through line by line and he explains all of the math and explains all the different stuff about how that shader actually works. So while I was working on my my talk for RW DevCon, like there was a, a tarot deck that came out that had OpenGL code that explained how to do shaders, which was really cool. And I adapted one of those shaders for one of my demos at RW DevCon, but then I realized even though it was really easy to translate that shader from OpenGL to Metal, I didn't know how the math worked. So I basically have this one line of code that's really important that does all of the cool, special stuff that you need to do in order to get stuff working. And I'm looking, I'm like, I don't know how this works. I don't know how somebody came up with this. It's like a lot of weird, random, gibberishy type symbols that you type it in and cool crap happens and I don't know how. And so it just, I really appreciate it as a person who came into this not knowing anything that Paul went in and really wanted to make sure that he documented about how all of these shaders actually worked because a lot of the value in this framework isn't just the shaders there, but that you can follow through it and understand mathematically why it works the way that it does in plain English instead of just seeing all these creepy algorithms with you know math that makes your brain shut down. Let's take a step back because uh, having gone all the way down to metal and, and, and use the scuba gear to get that deep. Can you give me a, a quick, for the, the people who, who haven't gotten it before, quick description of what a shader is? When you're going and you're doing things with graphics, there's something called a rendering pipeline where there's about seven different steps in this pipeline where you go from having a bunch of, uh, a bunch of data that represents different aspects of what you want to see on screen. So when you have a, a shape, if you have like a, a 3D pug, um, you're going to have an object file that's going to have a bunch of values in it that describe each point in the pug and how you construct the pug by by connecting all of these points into triangles. So that's one part of the rendering pipeline. So the first shader program that you do when you're doing 3D graphic stuff is the vertex shader. And the vertex shader describes anything that you are doing that affects the geometry of the object that you are creating. So like if I have my pug and I want to rotate the pug 90 degrees, I would go and I would use a vertex shader to go in and perform calculations about where and space each one of these points needs to be in order to rotate the pug 90 degrees. Um, and then that goes to a rasterizer that goes and constructs the pug and does some other stuff. And then that eventually gets handed off to the fragment shader. And what the fragment shader does is it describes what color every single pixel is that you're going to see within the pug. And that kind of calculates like the base color. If you apply a texture, if you do lighting, if you do any other stuff in there, all of the different calculations about what color each pixel in the pug is going 
going to be is calculated by the fragment shader. One thing that's really cool about Metal and Scene Kit and Sprite Kit is that you don't have to go through and do the entire rendering pipeline in Metal. You can go and download the pug using like Model IO or just drop into your project using Scene Kit. And if you wanted to go in and create like a lighting calculation that was custom to your application, you can just write your your lighting fragment shader and you can drop it into Metal and not have to worry about anything else. So you only have to write these 20 lines of code for your your lighting and that's it. You know, I've been working with Sprite Kit for a while and I rarely have had an opportunity to play with shaders and Sprite Kit. And it's just because I don't need that level of complexity in what I'm working on. And for me, you know, that it all goes back to being intimidated by the math. I don't want to write shaders. Well, that was one thing that I really appreciated about uh, Shader Kit with Paul was the fact that like he was trying to make the math like approachable. So if you were interested in like, wow, this is a really cool shader, but I have absolutely no idea how it works. He actually like went to a lot of trouble to go in and document in detail about how all of the math works. So like my first boss that I had was Brad Larson and he worked, he was the one who created GPU image. So one of the things he talked to me about with GPU image was the fact that a lot of the shaders in there were actually kind of compilations of multiple shaders. So like you would have a shader that would do one thing and then another shader would do a second thing and another one that would do a third thing. And so you'd create like a complicated shader that was composed of three different smaller shaders. So one really valuable thing with shader building is understanding that a shader is just a amalgamation of a lot of different steps and that you look and go, well, this shader does one thing and then this shader does another thing and I can combine those to do this really cool, more complex thing and that it's all built, big things come from small beginnings. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it depends what level of complexity that you want to introduce or what type of effect that you're trying to get. Now, if if I wanted to create a wave shader, for example, it's not too complicated. I mean, what, maybe like five, six lines of code to create that shader and then to attach it, you're talking only probably like another three or four lines of code. Well, one thing that really frustrated me when I was trying to learn all of the math for the graphics stuff was that like I kind of had an, an understanding on one level of what these objects were, but I had absolutely no idea how to apply them to anything. So like I would talk to somebody and go, I don't understand sine waves. They're like, what do you mean you don't understand sine waves? Sine waves is, you know, sine is just, you know, opposite over hypotenuse. So like, yeah, I, I understand that, but I don't understand how you take that equation and apply that to a lot of these effects that I know use this. Like to me, like I can't make that mental leap between this thing that I know and this thing that I want to be doing. So like, again, like I was talking to Brad when Swift originally came out and he was saying like, oh, I don't understand why people don't understand monads. They're just applicative functors. Okay. If you don't know what either of those are saying that this is this thing that doesn't explain it. So like I found with a lot of them, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just made up <laughs> words there. I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but like, I, I feel like math isn't that like it's it's not that complicated. It's just it's very poorly explained because people don't really think about it in a way that like I think about it. Like I can't like I can tell you I can tell you what something is, but I can't give you any any idea about how to use it. You know, like one of my, my favorite lines from the the new Star Trek Discovery was the guy saying, you know, like rules are for lackeys, but context is for kings. And it's like context is for kings. Context is so important because like you have sine wave, you can tell me like what it is, and that's the rule. But like the way to be able to apply it in a way that's actually useful is the context. <laughs> yeah, but not not to get too deep into the the psyche here. You, you say that you say that math is 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 not difficult, or it's poorly explained, which then makes it difficult. But for some people, like myself, math is is unapproachable on a 
emotional level for me. Like yeah. I shut down completely when math comes into the equation, which I know that's kind of a pun yeah, intended a, there, right? <laughs> but um, nicely done. Thank you. But I do. I I I mentally shut down. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to compute or computate or whatever you say it. I don't want to do that. But that that said, if you were to throw and here and here's how I know it's a psychological thing for me because if you say to me, do this math problem and it could be a really complicated math problem. If I don't think about it, and when I say don't think about it, I mean, don't think about it. If there's a split microsecond where I think about it, I'll shut down. But if I don't have that microsecond to think about it, I will throw out the correct answer every time. And it doesn't matter how complicated the 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 problem is don't think about white elephants right oh yeah well, i mean like I'm, I'm not in any way trying to denigrate your your experience of having like psychological blocks on things because like <laughs> in our, our one of our previous episodes i talked about how i simply i can't learn algorithms because i have emotional resistance to learning them like i know that they're not that complicated i know they're important but i can't deal with them because i have psychological trauma associated with trying to learn them and i'm just like no i'm not doing this so no i'm not i'm not in any way trying to you know say, you know, like, it's bad or whatever that you can't learn. I just, I wish that people didn't have that experience with math, because I used to love math. When I was a kid, math was, like, awesome, and then I had, like, a lot of horrible teachers and had a lot of bad experiences with it, and I also had, like, a mental shutdown with it, but, like, I had previously had this experience of loving math that I could kind of draw on to kind of get through all of these dark periods, and I just, I, it makes me sad that other people don't have that experience, and they don't, they can't draw on that to get through all of this 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 crappiness see the only thing i can jump in with is i i feel the same way if i have to do art well and that's the thing it's funny you mentioned art because i was thinking to myself like even even art is the same way with me if if i'm trying too hard to be technical with my art it falls apart and it's the same thing with math if i'm trying too hard to figure out that math equation it falls apart but when i don't think about it when i just allow it to naturally flow it's perfect every time. And it's the same thing with my art. When I just allow that to flow, I create some wickedly cool art. But when I'm focused on how exactly does the arm connect to the body, it's a miserable mess. Yeah, for, for me, a lot, a lot of struggle that I have in my career is just working around my own neuroses and psychological issues. Because like, I know I can do this stuff, but then something happens and it just gets locked in a box and I can't get it out. And it drives me crazy because I know it's in there and I know I can do it, but I just can't make myself do it and so I have to figure out ways of of not putting my skills in a box and it's so hard <laughs> so let me steer us uh, uh, back into the uh, the shader kit for for a moment is it possible to use the shader kit without actually looking at the math oh yeah so you can actually use it sort of out of the box without really having to modify it. you can say well this will do what I need and I don't have to look at I, I mean it's wonderful that it's explained but I, I can sort of step away and just have that tool on my belt basically what he did was he wrote down in all of his documentation in the readme if you go to the repository about what parameters you need to send in for each of the different effects that you're doing and just kind of an idea about like what those are you don't have to look at the math um it's available if you want to but yeah you can just you can plug this into your application um you can make sure that you send in the right parameters you can kind of you know muck around with those a little bit to get the effect that you want and you can do it without having any understanding of the math whatsoever again this is an open source project and um paul 
says at the bottom of his readme that he does welcome contributions, but that his primary expectation with this is that he wanted this as a way for people to be able to learn. So like if he did want to contribute to the framework, he really would appreciate you going through and documenting all of the math and, and really taking good notes to make sure that this is a good learning resource for people who are interested in learning shaders. So like that would be a really like awesome thing if you know the math and you are familiar with it to be able to share your knowledge with other people who want to learn and understand this better. Open source uh, over on GitHub. Yep. I also wanted to mention that learning how to write shaders is intimidating to some people. It's intimidating to me because there is a lot of math involved, or at least in my mind, there's a lot of math. But if you would like to play with shaders in SpriteKit and you are intimidated about creating your own shaders, there is uh, this this place online, shadertoy.com, that you can go to and you could look at all the different shaders there and see what people are doing and, and use that in your own projects. Sh- Shader Toy is even more intimidating to me because I look at that, I'm like, how the heck do these people do all this stuff? And like, I know I talked to somebody and I'm like, I tried to learn shaders off of Shader Toy. They're like, oh, don't try to learn shaders off a of shader. That's where all of like, you know, the scary PhD research, you know, Ed Catmull type people go to like, you know, show all of the different stuff they can do. So don't don't compare yourself to the people on Shader Toy. Wow, the shader <laughs> equivalent of obfuscated pearl. It's like the, the you know, the, the, the crocodile dundee. You call that a knife. This That's is a knife. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a shader. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll show you how I can mani- manipulate vectors with logarithms here. So you just back <laughs> off. But nonetheless, I mean, we we can get all the links into the show notes for folks so that they can. Uh, obviously, we'll look at Shader Kit. Uh, we'll have the GitHub repository. We'll have uh, Shader Toy. Is it Shader Toy? Shader Toy. There's some conversion that has to. If you're going to use it in in uh, Sprite Kit, there is some conversion that you'll have to do. But it's slightly less intimidating than staring at that blank screen and creating your own. <laughs> slightly less. There are a, real, a lot of really good resources out there that have different shaders in them that are in like you know OpenGL and um, different shading languages, and because they're all like math based, like there's just a little bit of, of conversion that you need to convert them to OpenGLAS or convert them to Metal or or whatever. It's just that like a lot of them don't have any context about what the shade like why, how the shader works or what it's doing. I mentioned the the Pixel Spirit deck that. Um, I went through and I was able to modify one of those shaders fairly easily and get it into metal in like less than an hour, but I couldn't tell you how it works. <laughs> what was the, what was the old statement? If it was hard to write, it should be hard to understand. I, I like the I like the, the Lucius Fox thing from Batman Begins, where he's going on and on and on, and Batman looks at him and goes like, "Why are you telling me this?" I was like, "Oh, I just wanted you to know how hard it was." But no, I just I I, I, have the, I have the strong feeling about like you know the democratization of information. Like I don't think that only ten people in the world should have access to knowledge about how to do cool stuff. I think that this should be available to everybody. And I feel like like sometimes people are gatekeepers to that knowledge because like they know that not a lot of people know how to do it and that it's intimidating and that they can feel like haha I know more than somebody else does and I can lord it over them and feel all like awesome and superior. And, Who the like, heck are you hanging out? with you gotta stop hanging out with those people in academia people. <laughs> yeah, i'll put the plug in that's why i like the ray wenderlich folks because they're just like oh yeah you want to know something here i'll tell you yeah and that yeah, is but it does take special effort like for like someone of my level of incompetence people are like oh god andre's asking a dumb question again no i don't think so i liked tammy's point earlier in the show where she talked about how anybody can learn drawing anybody can learn anything and i i honestly believe that i believe anybody can learn anything i think if you are passionate about it and you're interested and you're willing to work through it that you can learn 
anything. And I think that like all of this information is out there if you're willing to fight for it and you know wrestle with it and you know like like force it to the ground and and make it you know submit to you. And I just I want everybody to know that they are capable of doing that. It's like, it's, it's a it's a family show there. That's not what I meant. I was... <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that's really good is been talking about Shader Kit and talking about uh, Shader Toy and the fact that I mean we've got books on it. You've got a book, Carolyn Bigby has the uh, the series on it. Uh, one of the things that really will throw people when they're trying to learn something complicated is that well everybody learns things different ways, and it's nice that something as complicated as shaders and something as daunting as sometimes the math behind shaders, there are all these different avenues now to make it more approachable. And this is really good hearing that, you know, we don't have to do all the work at the bottom layer, that we can bring it up and just take those one or two things that we need to uh, to stylize as we need. As Larry Wall said, easy things should be easy and hard things should be possible. Janie, thank you. You are the, the you definitely helped me learn some of the deepest tech there is. And I, and I really appreciate that from each show. Tammy, thank you. I am looking forward. We're going to bring you back again later on the season in a few episodes. And we're going to be bringing Mark Dalrymple back in here. And, and we really enjoyed having him out here last time. And we are going to have fun riffing with him in about two weeks. Once again, I also want to thank Rollbar for sponsoring this episode. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Again, thank you to Tammy Coron. Thank you, Janie. It is always a pleasure popping open our sessions and getting these shows done. And thank you again to everybody who listens in. In the meantime, we go back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, it's back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.